learning is learning is thriving to me, mm. I suppose. And you know, I I'm a very curious person. First of all, of who I am as a person, like what are the what is this project even called, Katrine Bimal? Like what what was this, what is she here to do, and how how will she do it? And of course, in my pursuits, learning will be very important because. I mean, we, we live in an exponential time. Technology is developing at an exponential rate. And that requires not only the ability to um, understand new concepts and grasp new ways of developing tech, but to learn how to learn effectively as well. Hey, my name is Innocent McGinga, and you're listening to the Learnability Podcast. For individuals seeking growth, we've created this open-ended exploration into our ability and desire to learn. I guess you could call it a combination of what we know and how we learn. So in conversation with individuals, either speaking from experience, belief, or science, we seek to find answers to how to navigate and win in this information age. So we were introduced by Van, who I met through Startup Grind Stockholm. And when we were working together with that, I met him at the gym. We're talking about uh, ed tech and uh, what I'm interested in. And he said, oh, you have to meet Katrina. So we met and we had a great conversation. Shortly after that, you left for a trip and I've been waiting to have this conversation. So now we're <laughs> finally here. <laughs> yes, indeed. Finally. Um, it was so funny when we met the first time because it was like, it was like looking at a, in, in many ways, uh, like on a male version of my, <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of passions and in terms of values, I just found that it was, it was astonishing how many things we had in common without ever meeting, actually. I said the same thing <laughs> to anyone I spoke to after. I had the greatest meeting today. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy that Van made it, made it happen. Yes. Thank you, Van. <laughs> thank you, Van. So let's start off with talking about what you do, uh, what, what, you, what you do today. What do I do today? What do I do? I tend to tell about my days in three parts. Yeah. So I have two day jobs and then one evening job. <laughs> that sounds very mysterious, but I'll, <laughs> I'll explain in a minute what that means. Yeah. So in my day jobs, I, uh, I do marketing at Google yeah. uh, as part of my, of my curriculum. And the other part is my own company uh, called Triber. Triber. We are, we used to, we started off as a marketing company doing marketing for different kinds of organizations, but we, we have recently um, transitioned into digital product. So now we produce digital products instead. What type of products are those? So they tend to be uh, VR, AR related, uh, but we also do quite a lot of apps at the moment. And I think there is a very interesting bridge to be observed between the app world and the VR, AR uh, landscape. It's, it's a connection that many people don't make, but there are, in fact, many, many similarities. And um, yeah, perhaps we'll get into that later in the podcast. Talking about VR, um, I was telling you, I just saw the um, Ready Player One yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What's your thought of that um, view of the future? Oh, I think it's a very... First of all, the movie was brilliantly made. Yes, uh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, it was. I, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I think, as with any pop culture, 
uh, it, pop culture does tend to inspire the, the science world, right? And the, in this case, the programming world. So let, let's see how how the VR field develops, if, if it's going to be in that direction or any other. And let's see how we develop with that. Exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's probably more important yeah. for sure. So you were telling me about gamification of education through VR. Right. Is that a good description? So we tend to actually avoid the, the calling it a game, although inevitably it, it is at the end of the day an interactive experience that could be for someone looking from the outside, look like a game, but we call it an experience, an experience uh, that takes you from point A to point B, uh, and hopefully you're you're learning something through that very visual, very immersive experience. Yeah. And who was it designed for? So it w- initially, the, our idea was to develop it for the tweens, so around twelve of age, okay. kids around that age. Um, but after doing a few test rounds, uh, we discovered that actually the, uh, the older uh, audience is also very much interested. And when I say older, I mean up to 18 years old. So yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the span of kids and tweens and, and teenagers. Yeah. I just thought of, I, I should introduce you to Rolf, who is one of the co-founders of Nonviolent, Nonviolence, I think the name is of that organization. They are working against uh, violence generally, but a lot in schools and uh, teams and that age group. And we had a very interesting conversation and they're trying to build uh, a technical solution to implement the actual teachings. And he showed me, uh, what would you call it? A simulation where you can, you can create your own stories sort of, and it plays out. It would be more, I think, um, immersive to do it with VR. Sure. So I would like to make that introduction. I just thought of it. That sounds amazing. And as far as nonviolent communication and so on goes, I mean, that's right down my alley. Being, uh, I don't know if I told you this, but I'm, uh, I'm a facilitator at Hyper Island as well. And well, an- another <laughs> <job>. <laughs> no, it's not a job. It okay. was, it was this uh, ed- like an education I took, and then. I really liked it and it went as far as actually this Christmas. So we're recording this in January. So this was quite recently. I, um, I facilitated a nonviolent communication workshop for my family. Oh, wow. Uh, after the um, Christmas dinner, <laughs> food coma situation. <laughs> so yeah, that would be an amazing introduction. Ooh, yeah, it seems definitely. like we have things in common. So you build products within EdTech. Would you say specifically within EdTech? Well, that, those lines tend to blur out, right? I mean, um, education, what is not education nowadays? Uh, information streams that come our way. And um, I mean, yes, it, education does tend to come in uh, in one shape or another, but not exclusively. What led you into um, being this entrepreneur that you are? Have you always had that, that spirit? Oh, it's, it's so funny, you know, being called an entrepreneur. It's one of those things that I at least ha- hesitate to call myself, but yeah. it feels so nice. When I, <laughs> <laughs> well, now that, you know, then it, I don't know, it feels kind of, kind of better that way. So thank you. First of all, it's been, it's been quite a ride these last years to get this company uh, up on its feet and running it successfully. And yeah, I guess the journey for this company began one and a half, I think no, perhaps two years ago, when I did 
an unexpected pattern shift, let's call it. Uh, since then, I've, I've really been reflecting over the importance of breaking patterns, even if the patterns are great. And, uh, you know, in order to level, up level, we need to do things differently. And so that's what I did. Um, that then led me on to the business success that I've had. And how did that look, the pattern uh, switch? The pattern switch, the pattern change happened when I, so I went, before I took my uh, education to be a facilitator at Hyper Island, I was actually a student. And so the program I attended was called Interactive Art Director. It's called Design Lead nowadays. So, so I was all about uh, creating intuitive digital experiences for people. I really liked that and I really enjoyed uh, my time there. But time approached for us to to go out on internships, right? So people were starting to look at agencies, companies in-house and so on. And so, but not this girl. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would, I, did, I decided to make something quite different. Um, I already had a company at the time, so I decided to do the internship in my own company. And decided to travel away for a while and run, run, run operations remotely. And first things first, that went really well. But with, what went even better was that I decided to embark on a yoga teacher training uh, at the same time. What got you to do that? I was going to ask you, <laughs> learning more about life as well at the same time. What got you to take that step? Um, it's an excellent question because the... The decision was so contraintuitive. Um, one of the biggest reasons it was, was because, you know, everyone was hungry to get started in their design careers and momentum was here. And then all of a sudden I, I kind of flip and do, and do something totally unexpected. So I don't really know. I just, I just felt that um, I have a grip of, of what it means to design effectively. And sure, my, my learning curve would surely be Uh, developing further on if I was to take an internship somewhere locally and learn from a mentor within the field but I was just drawn to something else and like so many things in life you just have to follow those breadcrumbs even though they might not make sense to everyone else so that's that's what I did and that actually leads me to the mysterious uh, <laughs> declaration that I made about my evening job because I am I am a yoga teacher or a yoga therapist so by night yeah, by night <laughs> it tends to be by night yeah And looking back, I guess your journey is still long ahead and I, I'm really excited to follow it. But just from this period, do you feel it's becoming more clear? Like you said, following the breadcrumbs without knowing where they will lead. You feel like today you, you, you can look back and say, okay, that's why I went this way. Or is it still unfolding? I think it is unfolding. And... Mm, just to continue on of what happened actually when I got home, because I was only away for a month. And during that month away in that different environment, I mean, being on my yoga mat, um, I reflected over that I wanted to build a software when I got back home. I, I, w I was not going to do it when I was away because I had already too many things on my plate. But when I came home, I decided to build my own little software that would inspire essentially parents and their children to greater EQ through a story that they would be building together. It was an, it was an app. 
And so I had a very clear vision of what that was going to look like. And I did develop it together with, with my fellow um, yeah, developers who, who are good friends of mine. Yeah. Sorry, EQ, you're talking about mm-hmm. emotional intelligent quotients. And, yes, uh, yeah. that's right. So how do you go about designing a game to improve EQ? Right. So my idea was to, like in any storytelling setting, to guide the reader, meaning the parent and the kid, through a story. And there would be uh, tribal moments where the head character uh, would take either one option or another, and that will lead to certain consequences. And so the immersive part in this was that the reader or the the child, in, in correspondence to their parents, would decide together what is the ethical or why do we choose a certain path and not the other so that would open up a different conversation between the kid and the parent that was my idea um and the test groups were (laughs) i was very impressed um by how big of an effect it had and how fun kids seemed to have and i guess that very um project led me on to finding my partner who is a big partner in this vr project that we spoke about before yeah yeah. because they saw that i was working with the same values and they were just looking for someone to be the product owner of a product that they were building at their place so we found each other through common values and i gotta tell you i would never have landed in that position if i hadn't broken the pattern and really listen within and ask myself what is the actual next step so why is learning important to you learning is learning is thriving to me i suppose and you know i i'm a very curious person first of all of who i am as a person like what are the what is this project even called katrine bimal like what 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 was this what is she here to do and how how will she do it and of course in my pursuits learning will be very important because I mean, we, we live in an exponential time. Technology is developing at an exponential rate. And that requires um, not only the ability to um, understand new concepts and grasp new ways of developing tech, but to learn how to learn effectively as well. How do you think you can facilitate that learning how to learn and that being in focus? learning about yourself like you're talking about um and yeah being uh, susceptible to new information what type of environment do you think or what type of setting uh promotes uh learning so i believe a lot in creating bridges between different areas right so let's say if a person works with uh, construction and they've been working with construction for many years of their lives. And if they're all of a sudden starting to think about changing field and they, they look at this mountain of information that they will need to process in order to uh, take on a new career, let's say, then what I think what would be helpful for a person like that is to have a person from the construction world to explain things about this new field in construction terms. Mm, related to what you know. This is what you can learn about this other subject. For example, yeah. yeah. I think that's that's one big one that tends to be, it kind of gets in the shadows because I, I just notice people jump into tactics and tools pretty fast. Mm. 
um, and I personally, I do love those tactics as well, but I'm, I'm being quite mindful nowadays about looking at the big picture and saying, okay, how can we get the big moving parts in place first so that later on it will be more even inspiring to learn about the details and the tools and the, you know, they can be complementary rather than an initial point. What do you think? I think we can, like, like you were saying in the beginning of the conversation, education is everywhere. And I think we can incentivize people to see um, the opportunity to educate yourself as valuable as the time you take to scroll through social media or listen to music. So how can we incentivize? If, if I have this one hour here, let's say I'm also in the construction industry, uh, I want to switch fields. And like you said, it's a big step. I might have a family. I don't have the opportunity to uh, go to school. I still have to work. But I have at least one to three hours a day where I could be moving myself towards this other uh, field that I want to be in. But today the option is go to school and you need a certification through school and then you can get the other job. How can we incentivize this person to consume information that will take you towards your goal and your information consumption will be verified as education that you actually I've actually listened to these audiobooks or podcasts or read these books and I I know some stuff about this and have the opportunity to switch fields um I'm really interested in the on demand in between on the people's uh, conditioned terms uh, so on on my terms I want to learn I don't I want to learn um on the subway I want to learn while I'm running I want to Uh, learn um, for five minutes. I want to listen five minutes, ten times a day, rather than sitting in school for an hour or whatever. So it's more adapted to the person in need. Um, That's something that I'm interested in exploring more of ways to turn education, make it as easy as entertainment consumption. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. I totally do. The more personal we can get about education i think the better yeah it needs to be personal it needs to be because to learn something i have to have a personal interest in it to really learn it and memorize it and apply it to other fields so if you give me if i'm learning about the subject and you as a teacher give me uh, this literature to read that might not be the right way for me to consume the information about this subject but if you just tell me the main goal we're gonna learn about this go ahead use the internet and whatever you have consumed will be um traced analyzed validated and you can do test taking on that um i think that's interesting i love that idea it it actually it goes very well with an idea that i had a few a few years ago uh that you just reminded me of yeah Like you know how the current classroom situation looks like in many schools, for instance. Yes. Um, and let's say there is a situation where the class is expected to, you know, learn about a certain historical event. Let's pick the French Revolution. <laughs> and and it's funny how in so many in so many ways uh, students are expected to learn the very same things, and then by the end of the module they will go up on stage and they will present to the class 
basically repeating perhaps the same findings as everyone else. And what got me curious was that what happened if that very setting, I mean, the, the topic is still French Revolution, but there was a range of areas to explore within that event. So let's say uh, powerful women of French Revolution. I was, gonna, I was thinking family life during oh, that family time. Yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. What, what did that look like? How did architecture look that? I mean, you can go as, as broad as you like. And then what I see is that, okay, so let's say kids can have some kind of autonomy to pick their own subjects because we want them to pick something that actually engages them and want them to do the research and so on. And so when they get together in that final presentation uh, day, they will perhaps be even more eager to listen to the others because like, oh, that that really makes sense because we read about this thing and, oh, we see the synergies between yes. the events. And I, I wonder what that would, what that kind of classroom would look like. That's a fantastic idea. And adding to that, the fact like going into that with a, a knowledge of, uh, I'm going to teach this. Right. So going into learning to teach. I love that. I mm. think you will learn it in a different way. So let's say we're divided, the class is divided into five groups. My group is supposed to teach the other uh, four groups about this subject. I right. think you lay it up in a completely different way just then. I'm presenting to my teacher to try to get a grade. That's really cool. I'm interested in your spiritual learning. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. How's that <laughs> path been? And uh, how can you connect that to, the, let's say, startup or tech or entrepreneurship, life, grind, urban? <laughs> oh, geez. Um... I'm so happy you're asking because, you know, a few months ago before I went on my latest trip to, to Bali, I was invited to this just beautiful conference uh, here in Sweden. And I was part of a, of a panel uh, and the topic of that panel was uh, something along the lines, uh, how do we create more female tech superstars? And, you know, it seems like quite a legit question i guess to lift in um in in a tech setting and because it was a tech uh, conference um really lovely but i for some reason i found i i was a bit provoked <laughs> yes and i was i was observing myself I'm like why why do i feel this these um emotions and so I, I started to meditate on that and i realized that my journey has been so heavily influenced by my uh spiritual work that the only answer I could give is that the question shouldn't be how do we create more female tech superstars, but how do we help females like myself? I mean, speaking from the female perspective, being a girl, uh, I'm sure many of these of my truths are applicable to all genders. But as I'm a woman, that's that's the perspective I'm taking. I just found that if I could have a space for myself where I could... Um, exercise my body and I could eventually exercise my spirit because what I what I found and that what many people find is that the, the spirit lives in the body and as I untangle myself new perspectives comes in come in and with those new perspectives and new insights uh, I can use them as clues to how I could serve the world eventually I know it's big ideas but essentially if it starts with me um, me doing my work then tech will be the vehicle 
it will not be my point of departure because the point of departure is what is the service I'm trying to bring forward and tech will be my transport there. So instead of putting the question as how can we as a panel or as an audience here at this tech event create more female tech superstars, it should be more how can we encourage women to make this inner journey rather than, than systems put in place to, to create tech superstars. Yes. And I would also like to add a disclaimer. I mean, I, I think it's so important to lift the gender equality question, no doubt about it. But my story is so heavily influenced by um, the ability to untangle myself, to tap into my body and to, you know, start from, from there. I think what I'm trying to say is that how can we help people uh, be more human so that tech can be our ally eventually and our companion who, who can do a lot of the legwork. But we, we need to be the creative force. We need to be the, um, the innovators to tell the machines what to do. And, and if we're going to do that in an effective way that does not harm the world, uh, I mean, it's hard to predict, but, but uh, if that's our inten- intention, then we need to start with ourselves. Yeah. And during your spiritual journey and you're talking about it from your feminine uh, female perspective um, have you learned anything like about yourself or something that you would teach a sister uh, oh I'm so happy I get to share this because it's it's my probably my number one favorite topic yeah. at the moment yeah. except from maybe uh, learnability and education <laughs> but <laughs> put them together yes they, they are they go very well together um, So Triber has been ran according to the female menstrual cycle ever since, yeah, ever since we launched. And the first question I get when I declare such thing is, how do the men do? Mm. What does that mean for the men? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but before I share what the men do, I just want to, to, to quickly share the, the intention and the reasons for doing so. And the brief description would be to say that, you know, if the female workers in a small company like we are or in an office setting are allowed to operate according to their bodily responses and where they are in their, in their cycle, then actually the productivity goes up. I mean, if productivity is a, is a parameter, param, parameter, parameter, parameter yeah. that is important, which it is many times for companies, then... That's a given. That, that, that's a given bonus. Uh, and I mean, I, I liked how you framed it, that the, the masculine ways are very much linear and forward moving motions, while the feminine ways are the inward moving motions, which who are cyclical. Like the earth, the female nature tends to be seasonal. And so we will have our times when we are really productive and very well suited for uh, you know sitting grinding uh, at the keyboard and so on and then there are times where we're better at pitching and presenting and so how can that be used not only to the benefit of of a company but also to the benefit of the well-being of that person so that was the reason why we decided to go down this track and it's been it's been an experiment but it's yeah, been how fun. has it worked in in practice very well Very well, because we made it a priority and we, for example, I don't 
when, when I'm in a part in my cycle where I'm, you know, not in the best shape to take business meetings, yeah. then I will not. You don't book anything in. Yeah. And that's why it's good to have a male co-founder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, and so, yeah, that leads me to what do the men do? Well, men are probably the most happiest about it. They're even happier than the women about this because, of course, uh, as all things equal, they should have their days when they can decide to do something else. Um, so it's, um, it's, it's an equality question as well in the office. Do they in some way counter the part of the cycle you're in? Like you said, if you're not up for taking a meeting, does that mean he's in this week is my meeting week? Do you do it like that? Or uh, do you sync it? Or You know, I think in the beginning, uh, the conversation went about this way. But I think now that we're quite, quite f- far into the process, that goes quite uh, unspoken. I mean, it's it's a super, it's a very free arena to share those things if you want to. No one will think it's 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 strange, but people just uh, know that if if I have my reasons to um, schedule this meeting in a different day, then that's that's no problem. That's so because I I still think that. Um, Female health per se is is and male health is is an intimate thing, right? So there is no obligation to go and share with the coworkers where I am in my cycle. If if I really want to, I can do that, but it, there is no pressure to do so. I think what we're talking about actually just hit me. A theme here is um, personalizing. We're talking about the education. We're doing that there and also in work, making it more adapted to, to we're humans. So everyone can't sit in a classroom and listen to the teacher talk about the French Revolution for a full hour. And I rather go to YouTube or whatever. Everyone can't sit at the desk for eight hours. I rather sit over here and do the same work. Right. Exactly. And. Do you think with the digitalization that we're getting closer to opportunities to individualize or adapt these settings to to each person? Oh, for sure. I mean, I even think that looking at the digital nomads of the world, that's, uh, I mean, they've been around for quite a while. And um, to me, perhaps they could be categorized as some kind of early adopters to this this kind of movement of adapting your lifestyle to and kind of you know not having work or your your main uh, workspace as your um, as as the place where you spend the most time. Uh, if we're talking lifestyle design and so on, I mean, I'm of course a huge fan of of uh, Tim Ferriss and and his ways and. I've been, I've been adapting his his ways for probably three years now, and I I, I wish that for people because it's oh it's just I, I know perhaps a cheesy word in this context, but it's so liberating, and I I just wish for more people to just you know have a taste of that and see maybe, but but then again you know it's it's not going to be um, for everyone like living the digital nomad lifestyle and that's but that's also the beauty of it it so you can decide exactly you at least have the option then so it's not for everyone just like uh, this way we have it today is not for everyone but there's not as much of an option today Mm. do you think that the 
this uh, personalization, individualization path is going to affect how, you know, you know how there, there is this idea of, of us being part of a tribe, right? Where we're somewhat codependent perhaps or interdependent. Like, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? Like, is that going to be exclusive? Do you, will, will there be more um, issues because people are getting more personalized treatments and individualization? I bet there is a risk in that, but seeing how we're more and more connected and I almost feel like we're too connected. I would, <laughs> I would like to live in the old uh, mail, uh, sending mails and uh, dial phone days. But we are more and more connected. So, and easier to connect. Uh, Elon Musk is talking about neural links where we won't even need a phone and we'll really be connected. So I think they will... I guess I hope they will uh, match. So while we're individualizing our and adapting our work life, we're also being able to connect easier. And that's where VR is interesting. Um, how that can, in the virtual world, how, how we can connect and still form tribes if that's what we need to do. What's your thoughts on that? Do you see VR as a key solution in, in us not drifting away from each other? So I have two main thoughts. The first one that instantly popped up was when you said that perhaps we're too connected. And uh, on many levels, I agree with that. And that just brings me back to the idea of, you know, if, if I as a person um, know myself, then I can actually use the connectivity of social media and of tech and so on as my vehicle. So I'm, I'm merging like my previous thoughts with, with, the, with the current topic. So I just think, I just love how it all comes together to the human and, you know, what this human is here to do using tech. That was one of my thoughts. And the second uh, about VR. Yes. So I've been, I mean, being in the VR field, I've been following this fascinating product. Perhaps you've heard of it. Uh, VR chat. No. Sometimes called chat VR. I don't think uh, I'm too familiar with that. Okay, so let me let me <laughs> broaden <Yeah>. the horizon. <laughs> yes, it's it's because it for sure broadened my horizon when I when I first uh, came in contact with it. So it's basically it's it's a, it's a full utopia. First of all, it's it's a VR world where people are all around the world connect and play. Uh, you could you could think of it as Minecraft, mm. but less organized if if you can even be organized in minecraft i don't think you can but but it's 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 like mine minecraft on steroids and it's in vr i'm thinking ready player one yes is that where we are okay oh my jesus okay so, so we're there <laughs> we're there already we're there and i was i was about to say that you know I, i'm part of this uh facebook community group where where the players of uh, vr chat hang around and you know they they lift conversations that are obviously happening inside the experience um, just to kind of prolong the conversation inside the Facebook group. And I do see, I, I, f I find it fascinating because they are the, they're at the very edge of, of where this technology is going and they are, they are the ultimate early adopters. And I, I just love reading the threads and the conversations that they have. And so a lot of the times I will see um, psychological 
benefits for, let's say, introvert people or uh, like it's if you're not part of that community and you're curious, maybe you should apply to be in that Facebook yeah. group because it's it's amazing to read Exciting. about it. Mm. So I think there will be new ways to connect. And with that, if I'm able to, on my terms, learn to, and of course, now we might be assuming that I'll do all my learning to do good, but let's assume that. So I'm free to learn on my terms and uh, my information consumption will be counted into an education and I'm able to connect, like make real connections with people from all over the world through this VR chat, for example. If we have more people being able to learn more, connect more and do more together. There are, of course, downsides with everything. In the digital world, we, we know very little today of how it's going to play out and, and, and so on. but. On the optimistic side, I'm really excited about the, the development. Do you think that, so let, let's assume that education and the tech scene in general will move more and more towards personali personalization and personal ways of learning things. Just it's, it's a meta thought that I have, but do you think, will that actually be empowering to know that okay i'm learning this piece of information and i'm doing it according to my own uh, circumstances but will that be um just a perception that we're in control because there is someone who produced this solution for us and so you know how do we distinguish between this this amazing offering that we now have access to and we can we can learn on, on our own terms mm. But perhaps without getting tied down to a big producer or mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know if I'm, you know, I'm just thinking. Um, yes, depending if we go like user generated content way or maybe that's what you're thinking that the, the app solution is the one that provides the content. So let's say, for example, Facebook, right? So when Facebook came around, it was this, oh, I can connect with all of these people and I can, I can have my, eventually my <laughs> filter bubble where, you know, I'm with like-minded friends and we talk about the same topics. And so we, we and speaking from the eye, I feel like th this is a safe perhaps space and I like it. And as a matter of fact, I get, if I'm not checking myself, I might get addicted to it, mm -hmm. right? Because it's also personalized. And so what would happen if we would lift that into the next level? Because I, somewhere in my mind, I, of course, I understand that uh, Mark Zuckerberg and, and his genius team is, is in charge and I'm, I'm a puppet. <laughs> no, but you, you know what I mean. Could you eliminate a lot of that by, uh, I, I've spoken about this before. So if you take Facebook, for example, What would happen if just Facebook as it is today would open up the cookies or like their algorithms and show you how they profile you? What would happen if that was part of your profile? So this is the type of information you consume and that might be why you're biased in this way. And you could actually add to that by um, trying to every five pieces of content I'll show you the other side just to get some perspective but just that part of opening up 
all the information, the data that they have. Not all the data, but like the profiling data. Wow. I wonder what would happen if that if that was the case. For sure, they would not lose as many users on the Facebook platform. Yeah. <laughs> as they do. And I think the users would use it differently. Like um, you're incentivized to be balanced if 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 my profile shows that i'm racist <laughs> i don't want everyone to see that i'm racist i'll try to consume other information right. and, and that will make me less so racist it, it sounds, you know, I, I have know. this picture in my head where uh, this uh, the concept filter bubble yeah. which just pop everyone's yes, bubbles yes exactly. <laughs> exactly it's quite funny so now now we're in these small silos i can still be in the in my groups and the communities but everyone can see Um, what I'm basing my uh, Twitter rant or my um, hatred for whatever on. So he's writing this because he's only read this. Right. I can just let him go. I don't need to get in an argument. Uh, I think we, we, we can remove a lot of the disputes by just, okay, I see. Just understanding, okay, this is why you're doing that. Mm. I'll move on. Exactly. And it goes quite well along the lines of, I don't know if you remember uh, Elon Musk's uh, OpenAI. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how, he, how he very often lifts the concern of, uh, of, the, of the dangers if one major company um, was to you know, rule them all. I mean, I do realize that me working for, for Google means certain things as well. So I'm not going to, you know, throw any stones in a glass house, but as we say in Swedish. But, um, but what I'm trying to say is that I, I, I am so happy that the trend of open AI, of blockchain technology yes. is all coming into play. And that that kind of conversation, like even, even as you said, with the Facebook, what would happen if the cookies opened up? Like that's actually a possibility. Like it's, it's, I don't. It seems feasible. Yeah. And honestly, there would be many, I think just on top of mind that there would be many business opportunities in that as well. Not only for the Facebook users, but for Facebook themselves in order to survive and continue. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that we would have a lot to talk about. I would like to move into my recurrent questions. All right. So how much time do you dedicate to self-education? All in all, perhaps half a day a week. And if it's a really good week, then a full day. A full day. And you're saying all in all. So I'm guessing it's a a little bit every day. I, I would say so. Yeah. Do you take a full day? Um, I, t- I take at least a half day to, to read my material and to connect my dots. <laughs> I usually do it on a, on a Sunday. So, but yeah, surely there are things coming up during the week as well that I kind of, you know, it's, it's about note taking. So I see a little bit of information here, there, and then I pile it all up and then I check back with those notes on a Sunday and I place them in, into whatever categories I see fit. So what is your favorite source of information? This is going to be a very, very much a yoga girl answering, but me, myself. Um, Because I'm so fascinated about intuition and creative pursuits and the next steps. And I just find that me, myself, I'm I'm holding a lot of that information. So it's about me doing my body work, doing my meditations, 
and then finding complementary information to support whichever path I embark on. Okay, so it's like information about yourself, your state and... In in the moment, yes. But then, as I said, on my, you know, those Sundays when I when I sit down and I collect the the insights that I've had over the week, I mean, they tend to take me to places, right? So it's so it's an ongoing process for sure. Uh, but for me to stay sharp in that process, I need to do my body work, and so they are they're kind of running simultaneously. Um, me doing my work, complementing it with outer input, and then kind of sewing it all together. I think you should you should teach. <laughs> you find a way of uh um yes, yeah, sharing what you do. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And we we just had this conversation coming coming into the studio that I f- I feel personally that it's so important for me to embody whatever I teach and uh for me to embody something, I realize that I need to integrate, I need to experience whatever I'm learning and I need to integrate it in me before I can speak about that topic so but but you know it's it's also hard like what does it ever stop you know if if like you and I constant learners and hungry for information like it's an ongoing process but but for sure um teaching is a is a dear idea to me and we spoke about it earlier in the episode the, the power of learning while teaching as well so i don't think they put it off until yeah now i know everything i think you will learn you will um, enhance your learning by going into teaching as well surely because you know like in in the in yoga classes for example that i do teach you know explaining things perhaps the same concept but from different angles that that's a creative learning process for the teacher as well not only for the students so yeah what is your best hack for learning I don't have a hack. I stick to principles. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I guess it would be a concept called but if I if I was to pick something I would say nonlinear movement. So it's quite a, once again lifting it up to an abstract level perhaps, but what I mean when I say that I mean um in our lives if if you notice listening to this to this episode how you're sitting Uh, and the the lines of your of your spine of your of your legs like that's perhaps you you find yourself in a linear situation, but maybe you're in in your couch uh, and uh, lean, leaning into some kind of nonlinear position. And so when I explain nonlinear to people, I tend to say like, what would it look like if you were to move uh, move what you're feeling, right? So it could look very fluid. It could look like jumping. It could look like like anything really. Um, and so in terms of hacks, I think when I need to, when I spend too much time in my head or, you know, I feel stuck, I will always turn to nonlinear movement. I will put on some music and I would start off with doing some yoga poses, but then those yoga poses will quite effectively turn into something totally different. And then you can go back with a new uh, uh, mindset or new state, sort of. Yeah, you know Is how that what happens. Yeah, you know how some people say that you know I, I need to go out for a walk and just cleanse my head. Like my kind of going out for a walk is doing nonlinear. That's a, a great hack then. <laughs> <laughs> yes, especially for women. I mean, if you're interested in this, then I'm so happy to speak more about this. Talking about uh, teaching, if you were to write a book that would be read by all young adults in the world, what would be the title and subtitle of this book? 
So I've been giving this a lot of thought and it would be something along the lines, awakening purpose. Um, Please elaborate. <laughs> the slogan would be uh, something like uh, awakening the issues in your tissues. <laughs> awakening the issues in your tissues. <laughs> so you got the movement part in there as well? Yeah. Yes. Because, um, you know, the the emotional the emotion body that we carry around in this in this lifetime tends to store a lot of trauma, um, big or small. It's all relative, of course, but it it does tend to stay in those in those uh, hips or in in our backs or in our shoulders. And and when we, for once, drop down from from the head area where a lot of our decision making and rationalization tends to happen, if we just open up for the idea that we have this whole landscape beneath our shoulders, um, then we can access something much vaster than we would have if we were only to operate from the head. And so when I say the issues in your tissues is because, I mean, there is a reason why in movement, let's say if you've been in, in, ever been in a yoga class and or had been at a concert and just jumped and, you know, whatever movement comes to mind, uh, there tends to be a lot of emotions coming up uh, because we move the issues in our tissues. We move our bodies in ways that awakens it. And so what I notice in many of my, of my participants or my, my students is that in the beginning, it can be quite scary because it's like, I don't, I don't know if I want to deal with this childhood trauma, my, my dad leaving me when I was like me, for example, I haven't had my dad in my life since I was nine, I think. And like, what can I, what can I learn from that? What is my body saying about that? And, you know, not necessarily going into the situation with an intention because it's, it's always, the body's always going to reveal to us what we are ready or what we're what we've been maturing to receive. And it's not always um, far from it going to be what we expect. You might just be blocking the access to the information by trying to find something. Exactly. But what, what many students, myself included, um, since I've been in this process for quite some time, is that after the scary part is over and like, oh, wow, I can feel all this range of emotion, it actually becomes quite a sport. Because then it's, you know, what, what, are, what is going to be revealed to me next? Like, how well can I get to know myself? And that is exciting. I don't know why, but I'm, I'm visualizing uh, peeling off layers, sort of, um, through, through releasing tension in these, uh, releasing the issues in your tissues. <laughs> <laughs> it's a catchphrase now. I love the title and <laughs> subtitle of the book yes. and really interesting um, content. Do you think you'll write it? <laughs> oh, yes. yes. <laughs> One day. <laughs> I'll encourage you and keep pushing you to doing it. So in the last five years, what new belief, behavior or habit has most improved your life? I don't like to repeat myself, but it got to be once again coming back to uh, finding that yoga is not only linear, it can be non-linear as well. Um, and coming back to the, especially to the female body, once again, it's, um, the male body is very well suited for linear motions. As a matter of fact, for 
for a very long time, yoga has been practiced only by men because it was developed by men for men. Mm, I didn't know that. Yeah, if you if you track back the history of, you know, when it was developed in India and yeah, so on, yeah. I mean, women were not necessarily included in, in that journey. Now that I'm thinking of it, like all the, the tantric monks or whatever, or, they're all men. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. I haven't thought of that. Yeah. And so the fact that, you know, in, in our lifetime that yoga tends to be labeled as something girls do, I mean, that's, that's a new concept, right? Yeah. It's, it's far from how it's always been. Uh, however, you know, many of my yogi girlfriends, you know, they say like, oh, I love yoga, but there's just like, there, there's just this thing missing. I don't, I can't put my finger on it. And it's the moment when they discover like, oh, I don't need to stay in this position and, you know, be in the forward moving motion, the forcing, the masculine, if I may use that word. If I can just flow and be all over the place, um, moving what I'm feeling, then all of a sudden this whole new arena opens up. Um, so, yeah, sorry, I hate to repeat myself, but I, I guess that's the biggest gift in terms of new habits or new beliefs that I've uh, found recently it has to be that i don't feel like you've actually repeated yourself you've described it in different ways oh. uh, yeah it's very good a very teaching good. technique yeah <laughs> <laughs> thanks for got me interested in trying out some non-linear oh. movement you should come to my class <laughs> i will definitely and you see how linear my body is <laughs> <laughs> so when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or have lost focus temporarily, what do you do? I just break a pattern. Like I did that time I, I, I went away from my internship to the other side of the globe, I broke a pattern. And so I will, it's, you, you will quite rarely find me, you know, grinding through stuff. Sometimes when I'm in super flow, I will do it, but then it won't feel like grinding to me. Um... I'm still going to finish the work. It's just that for me to stay focused, I need to work on another task and then still cycle back to the previous task. And you have, a, I, I have this thing I learned quite recently, you know, when you do checklists, uh, I find it really helpful to um, make little squares at the end of a sentence, like this is what I need to do. And then there is a little square. And so instead of putting, putting the classical like done sign, uh, I will fill it in uh, the entire square when I'm done with the task, right? So the entire square will be filled with color. Uh, and the practical thing about that is that if a task is half done, I will only fill the half of it because that has a psychological effect on me feeling like I'm on my way, but You've I need to pause. Smart, because the check mark is it's a yes or no. It's um, binary. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But there is the in-between. Yeah. And I found that, you know, I lost quite a lot of motivation when I saw, oh, like I didn't get yeah. that binary yes. But if I filled in the half, then first of all, my brain will remember to actually get back to the task. Yes. Because it's so satisfying to just fill out the whole thing. And you, yeah, you remember which half you have left. And, right. Yeah. I like that. Smart. I will actually start using that from today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so lastly, what are you eager to learn within the near future? Oh, gee. So the thing I want to learn next is more about midlife health for women. So, you know, I've been... I know nothing about this, so <laughs> fill me in with what you know so far. So far. Um, so you know how I've been, I've been working a lot with the, 
with the female menstrual cycle and like how what does that mean on a scientific level, on a psychological, historical level. And so I feel like I've reached a plateau in that area and I'm, you know, I'm not as eager to dive deep because it's it's already quite integrated into how I carry myself. So so my latest kind of uh, area of, of, of that I'm curious about is what happens at midlife when women reach uh, menopause. Because I found, you know, and this, this area came into my life because one of my great mentors, her name is Mireille Andersson, uh, and I, we were, we were talking about how, you know, ladies in their 50s will sit in business meetings and, will, you know, they would have these heat flashes coming out coming at them and you know no everyone would just you know pretend that like nothing is happening especially the woman it happen, it's happening too and so there's this whole you know I'm, it's just this whole new world opening up to me of how much taboo it is and how 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 many forces there are like unwritten rules of how people are trying to work against that and so I started to dig deeper into it and you know I found this really interesting study um that says that, you know, after 50, men tend to go more inward because up until that 50 point, men are often, um, you know, uh, going out, you know, out in the work field and building the career and perhaps not staying as much inward as, you know, looking into the family. I mean, it's, it's a very broad term. So I, I, it was just one study that kind of highlighted that. But anyways, so while women tend to go inwards before 50, men go outwards. And then at 50, something interesting happens. That's when men, once, as I said, go in and women go out. And so there are plenty of women uh, after the age of 50 who have their creative peaks. And because, uh, you know, money's there. Uh, if there are any kids in the picture and the kids are often, you know, out doing their own thing. And so what, what shall she do with all of these resources and this time? And I mean, she's still vital and, uh, you know, ready to do stuff after being, you know, through her child carrying years, being this multi shapeshifter, being the mom, being the lover, the, I mean, and then all of a sudden, poof, you know, it's, it's a new paradigm. Coming back to the like knowing yourself part, what if this was common knowledge? Um, like most people knew that this not has to happen, but could happen. And you can see that as an opportunity and actually, okay, now it's time. Like, like 18, it's time to start doing certain things. 50 can be time to start mm. doing certain things. I mean, it's surely about initiations. There are so little initiations in our society. And I just wish there were more so that those women who sit in those business meetings and they have the hot flash that, you know, the mindset around that would be different. And I might even drop a little hint. I mean, there is something very interesting um, that we're building around this, this specific topic uh, over at Triber right now. So I won't say too much, but there is, uh, there is some uh, things happening, perhaps a product coming out soon right. within that field. <laughs> You'll have to let us know when you get back on this podcast. I really want to have you back. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and you can fill us in with, with more on that. It would be a pleasure. Thank you so much for this, Catherine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>